welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. This podcast series provides a space for some fabulous people to share their stories and find a voice within our ever-changing world. It is a space that simply encourages sparky conversations, because there is most definitely always something to be learned from every interesting conversation, however unscripted. At its heart, this podcast is built on the belief that each of us experiences the world in our own unique way, meaning that we all have our own story to share. The Coffee and Conversation podcast aims to uncover a range of perhaps previously unheard stories in an informal, engaging way, so that we can all connect, explore, grow and learn from the great people behind these tales. Happy listening! On today's episode of the Coffee and Conversation podcast, I'm joined by Anne Bamford, a crystal ball gazer with a passion for the arts in education. With her own personal experiences as a driving force, Anne is on a lifelong mission to embed creative thinking and artistic crafting into education curricula across the globe. Anne believes that a key role of the arts within schools is to allow the other to shine, and that encouraging innovation in the classroom has huge value for the future of our collective societies. Beginning her professional life in teaching, Anne is currently Strategic Director of Education and Culture for the City of London Corporation. As a former professor at the University of the Arts London and World Scholar for UNESCO, Anne's research into arts, education, emerging literacies and visual communication is internationally recognised and has led to numerous accolades, awards and letters after her name. It is, however, Anne's curiosity, energy, enthusiasm and warmth that, for me at least, identify her as a great person making amazing things happen. Welcome, Anne. Lovely to, to chat to you. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'm, I'm for the first time in a different place since lockdown. So I'm actually not in Scotland. I'm in my parents' house in Worcester, which is very exciting. <laughs> um, and Anne, you're London based? Yes, I'm, I'm in my, my garden office in London, which is very nice because it's a, a sort of a room in the garden. So it, it's quite pleasant. And I've become very friendly with the the bumblebees and the little birds and everything else that are in the tree outside me. So, and they seem to quite like me being um, remote working. So, so it's really quite lovely. (laughs) And there's something, isn't there, about just noticing these things as well, which they've probably been there for the whole entire time, but actually we've just never noticed them. Yeah, I don't know whether, yes, I I have genuinely never noticed them in the same quantity as I do notice them now. And they they certainly become much more friendly with me than they've previously been. So I think they're enjoying me being home and I certainly enjoy their visits to me as well. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. So as ever, um, we start the the Coffee and Conversation podcast with a quote. Um, Now, we've got a quote and a poem this week, um, (laughs) uh, which is exciting. We've had all sorts. Yeah, we've had some great poems and some great prose. And, and different things so it's really really nice to hear different things so so um, I'll just invite you to to share your quotes and your uh, absolutely and insight, yeah and give some insight into you know why they're meaningful for you absolutely well I'm actually being greedy because I've gone with two quotes and a poem so I've really I've really had had the whole three courses but um the the, the first quote I wanted to go with is a, a quote from John Dewey and I think John Dewey, if you've never read his work, he's from, you know, wrote a lot in the sort of 1930s. Um, and I'd really recommend if you're interested in thinking about what education means at all levels, that his work is, is fascinating because he really um, was way before the, his time in what he wrote. But when I revisit it now and I think about the future, 
it really chimes with me. And the, the quote I'd like is actually from um, a book he wrote in, in 1934, and it's about the arts. And he said, the arts touch the deeper levels of life. And I thought that that, I mean, not only do I, I completely agree with that, but that at the moment that quote is even more vital than, than ever. And the other quote that I wanted to bring in, and then my poem sort of captures the two parts of the two quotes, is um, perhaps influenced by the little robin that keeps sort of um, jumping into my, my through the door into the office to say hello and then and then going back off again. Is Elliot Eisner in the seventies wrote um, a lot about the importance of the arts in a child's life and in their development, and he said it's. Um, when he was talking about children, he said, a bird can't fly without two wings. And what he was referring to there is that a child needs a very balanced education and that it must include one wing of, of the arts to enable the child to really fly and to really perhaps reach those uh, deeper levels of life that, that Dewey um, referred to. And when I was actually trying to um, find the date of that specific quote from Eliot Eisner, um, I came across a, a poem. And if I could just be a bit indulgent and 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 read a poem for a minute or Absolutely. two. Absolutely. Um, it, it comes it, it comes from uh, a book called In Those Years, and it's by Adrian Rich R I C H, and it's from 1995. But ironically, when when I read it at this particular time, it, um, it the first time I met this poem was through the arts educator Maxine Green, and she began a talk that I was at in New York, um, and she was very elderly at that time. She was probably in her nineties, and she said, "I want to start this with a poem." because what the po the message of the poem is deeper than any prose or any sort of um, formal talk could actually cover. And sh she said, the climate has given rise to an argument for arts education. And um, when she read the poem, she actually said that she hoped that as we were listening to this poem, um, we would be able to connect with our own realities, our own realities of isolation, of separateness, and also of the unexpected descent into catastrophe, she said. And I thought, oh, my goodness, here we are, you know, <laughs> 2020. So so I'll, I'll read the poem to you and hopefully for, for the podcast listeners as well, it can enable you to activate the imagination um, and be in the position. And you'll see that it also refers to birds and also captures this notion of a deeper level. So it pulls together the quotes that I was looking for as well in, in another way. So, so to read the poem. In these years, people will say we lost track of the meaning of we. Of you, we found ourselves and we reduced it to I. And the whole thing became silly, ironic, terrible. We were trying to lead a personal life. And yes, that was the only life we could bear witness to. But the great dark birds of history screamed and plunged into our personal weather. 
They were heading somewhere else, but their beaks and pinions drove along the shore through the rags of fog, and we stood there saying, I. Doesn't that just say about where we are now? Well, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, one of the things I've noticed through some of these conversations are how we make connections, just find connections in unexpected places. Yeah, Um, exactly. You know, and you can see like even finding that poem again, which is a poem that I probably haven't looked at since, say, 2000. Um, but, But by looking for the quote, it led me again to that poem. And I thought if that poem was written right at this minute in time, you couldn't have said it better, you know. No, and that no. that irony between how do we how do we now define um, what it means to be be us and ourselves and a we rather than just being an I. And we're often in you know a lot of people living completely in isolation as the eyes. And also how we then recapture that as we start to move forward. I just thought whoa, this is so timely and so relevant to what what we, you know, for me the importance of the arts in education and particularly at this time as we think about recovery and and also not just recovery but renewal and reimagination and what that might look like as we go forward. So so sorry if it seemed a bit indulgent, but I just thought it was so pertinent to, to what, what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. And it's interesting, as I listen, my head has kind of sparked in several different directions. And I'm thinking about a couple of different um, conversations and a a Twitter chat I was involved in um, earlier this week around um, social learning. It was deemed social learning, but not in the sort of social learning theory sense of the world in terms of how we get together and um, adults learn face to face um, Mm. and what we've missed. And, you know, what are the challenges and what are some creative ways that people have been looking at to try and recapture some of that connection in a world where we are very distanced and and relying on technology um so yeah it's that's one one way and the other the my other other spark is is looking at you know this idea of community and this sense of you know linking together and and how we yeah how we do rediscover what community means and thinking about a lot of the images we've seen of people in neighborhoods you know getting to know neighbors that they've never talked to before Mm. Um, so yeah, it's um, yeah, it's amazing what things spark. Um, but yeah, let's let's start sort of move move forward. And you've mentioned you've you've already mentioned arts and and education, um, you know, a number of times. And I suppose you know I'm interested, having googled a little bit of, of your work previously, <laughs> around maybe your definition of, of of the arts. And I think because I think that word captures for a lot of people, um, you know, a very fixed view of you know art in terms of painting or you know those sorts of things and I'm curious about you know how you actually your definition of art and how you see the you know art in education and what it offer us as a society and particularly young people. Yeah I mean I think it started for me from a quite personal um, basis in terms of always I relied on creating things as a way to both occupy myself as a child but also to to be in my own world, to allow my imagination to run free. So it, it was not always art in a traditional sense, although I would draw pictures and I would have concerts where I would be the only performer in my bedroom as I sang and danced and all the rest of it. Um, but it could also have equally been, you know, um, 
making imaginary play on on the fallen log that was in the back of our garden, or it could have been making um, clothes for my um, teddy bear that was, you know, w- would be created and given haircuts and all the rest of it. So I think um, right from the outset, creativity and the arts in the very broadest sense were ways that I coped with life and and learnt. Um, but I'd never formally realised that in any conscious sense till I had um, a really terrible year in year five um, where I, I actually had an appalling teacher um, and it was a really um, difficult experience because um, in, it was an era when um, this was in Australia and uh, where I grew up and you were in classrooms, the classrooms were graded, there was an A class and a B class, and it was even worse that the rows were were set in the school based on cleverness, and so the, oh, the wow. brightest child sat at the front desk and the dumbest child sat at the back desk, and I was in the second back desk of the bottom class. Wow. So, so um, I wasn't, you know, doing well at all academically. Although it wasn't said at the time, I was probably dyslexic. I've probably been dyslexic my entire life. Um, but it wasn't, you d- didn't get that label. I was just um, a child who was who was dumb. Um, and then, you know, I'd had this quite traumatic year with this, you know, teacher who, whose idea of sort of educational inclusion was, was humiliation. And... Um, Fortunately for me, um, I think that the teacher potentially was also an alcoholic and so was um, sacked from the school because mysteriously in the last term of school, he wasn't there. And in fact, a new teacher was there, a lovely lady by the name of Mrs. Holman. And I've never seen Mrs. Holman since, but Mrs. Holman arrived and very quickly she realised that if for me she could make anything into something creative, I could not only learn, which I hadn't been able to do before, but I could actually learn extremely well. And so she automatically engaged me in whatever the subject was. She got me drawing pictures. She got me doing drama. She would allow me, I used to get hit for wriggling my legs and she would encourage me to wriggle my legs. Um, so she she completely, in one term of school, so that was 10 weeks, she completely transformed me from being this child who was a complete underachiever and, in fact, sort of mysteriously following that intervention, I found myself in the A class and in the second from the front row because they'd suddenly realised that I wasn't as dumb as they had thought I was and, in fact, I might be quite bright and they'd also given me an IQ test which had shown that, I, according to the IQ test, I was very bright. So, so wow. it was a transformational personal experience and also experience that taught me the thing that I'd been doing always just in my life was an incredibly powerful learning tool. And if I could continue to use it as a tool, I could effectively learn anything. And so that revelation to me as a young child, as a 10-year-old, was very transformational because I suddenly realised I could not only achieve learning but I loved learning if I could put it into a creative 
framework. And I still do that now, right? So so I still have difficult, you know, if, if I'm trying to learn something, I have to put it into a creative framework to be able to learn it. And to give an example further on, when I was doing my equivalent of A-levels, I was in the maths test. I couldn't understand it at all. I could hardly even read the question. And then I decided the way to solve this problem was to make a, a model so I sat in the exam and I tore up the exam paper and created the question as a as a sculptural model. I then proceeded to answer all the questions and, you know, was able to get a very good grade for mathematics because I, I was able to use my um, creative understandings, my capacity to see holistically, to problem solve and so on, to, to answer this question. So that's why I have this passionate interest. And I became then sort of um, almost evangelical in seeing the importance of this to children. So even when I was at school, I used to be sort of saying to other children, well, if you can't do it, you know, draw a picture, do diagrams, do, you know. And so I began sort of even amongst my peers sort of um, becoming, you know, and and since then it's been my, my life work because I think that there are many, many, many children who and and adults and people you know I have people who are who are 60 who are coming back into learning and saying nobody ever said you know I've never been any good at learning and no one ever said if I just use my artistic signs I can do this you know um and, and having worked as well in in as a professor in in um, the University of the Arts, for example, you know, realizing that the university was full of people who were like me, <laughs> who really struggled to make sense of the world if they didn't use their art, and hence mm -hmm. you see why my quote of the two wings is so so vital to me personally, because literally, you know, I can't learn without. Um, you know, even as I'm talking to you, I'm using my hands, I, I'm using gesture, I'm using because that's a dramatic form of speech. So I bring in me, it's always the artistic that, that's happening. And so I've been on a sort of, yeah, on a mission to, to get this to happen across the world. And, um, you know, it started small. I became a teacher so that I could make sure children got this. And then, you know, I kept sort of influencing, how can I change teacher education? How can I change it in more schools? How can I change it in more places in the world? So, you know, as a result, I ended up doing very large-scale studies for UNESCO to actually ensure that every child in the world gets this as a, a human right, that it shouldn't be an optional extra. So, yeah, that that's why I'm a, a bit sort of crazy about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you know what what I love is is you know I love the energy and the passion as you're talking you just kind of light up and you, know, there's, there's, you, know, you can't I think in um you know in life you, you meet people and and you know you just kind of I personally you know love that sparky conversations and when you see somebody so passionate about what they believe in you can't help but being caught up in that and um and being curious and interested and um, and this, I've, I've scribbled I've, as I listen. I've scribbled so many notes around um, <laughs> a couple of things that really stood out. You, you remembered the name of the teacher mm. in your year five, um, and you know I think that's really significant because we remember the people that made a massive impact on our lives, and and that yeah. person may never know how significant they were to you, um, <laughs> but we all have, we all then have the potential to be that person for somebody else. Absolutely, um, and yeah, and also you know I, I like 
I really like this idea of problem solving and create and you know arts being about creative thinking and being able to fray you know I, I talk a lot when I talk to people I mentor and things around reframing how they perceive things or reframing challenges mm. that mm. feels like you know that creativity and, and problem and problem solving and use of the arts mm. enables us to do that whereas if we're just ingrained in a kind of structured one plus mm. one equals two and that's the problem that's the problem and the answer mm. rather mm. than kind of going okay well, what could that be mm. um, which is a very different skill to just right you will learn this and mm. And if you can't learn it, well, sit in the back row. Mm, exactly. And I think what's really interesting is, you know, when I became aware of that in myself and started bringing that to other people as well, um, you realise there's like literally millions and, and millions of people who've done the same thing and also some great people throughout history. Like, you know, the, the person who invented DNA, who solved the problem of DNA, had been doing it and doing it through the science and the maths and not getting anywhere and then stopped and actually completely physically modelled it as a sculpture because had a hunch that the answer will be beautiful. And so, if it, you know, and so it was actually the sculpture of the, the double helix that made the answer be right in the science and the maths. And I think you know, there's all sorts of examples throughout um history both you know and and in contemporary um spaces and I really like Jane that you picked up on that point in terms of the um the importance as we go forward because one thing I'll make as an observation is having been in this this business if you like for probably you know 50 years of telling people um you know this importance I think there's been an absolute um change in the last couple of years about how society itself has made a shift to understanding this way of working. And mm. I think we're, we're on now, you know, before I always felt like I was sort of swimming against the waves, you know, <laughs> trying to sort of, and now I feel very much there's a huge wave that, that we're, we're all catching um, because that is saying we have to change. And what's happened over the, the last few months with, with the, the COVID crisis has actually given even more force and energy to that wave. And it's it's going to radically change for the better a lot of stuff we're doing. So the idea of separate disciplines will go. There won't be, a, you know, what's the point of having all these artificial boundaries? We don't need them. That will go. Um, the, even the way, you know, the way we work is radically changing, the way we live is radically changing, um, the importance of what I refer to as fusion skills, these skills that we're able to fuse together to make interesting and exciting things happen. But we can also mm -hmm. fuse with other people and fuse with other disciplines and fuse with other organisations. And I think those boundaries that have kept people separate, whether it's schools separate, businesses separate, when when you take those away, we are all on about the same problem solving. We're all on about the same need for creativity. We're all um, seeing the importance of oral communication. You know, mm -hmm. this, this podcast is really important because people get access to information that before they wouldn't have had access to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these these changes I think now – are happening at pace and with force and 
it, for me, it's personally really exciting because it's it's like yes, finally I'm not swimming against the tide. These are you know, um, yeah. But you've but got I, a shoal, you a shoal yeah, of fishes yeah, around yeah. you. I'm off, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. surfing the wave, you know. But um, I think this is a general thing, and and we, it's interesting. We we had a big. Um, uh, meeting uh, of minds of experts uh, about a year ago in London the city of London hosted what we called fusion cities meetings we do them on an annual basis really um, and last year's meeting we identified what are the disruptions that mean we absolutely cannot just stay with the status quo like it's not it's not going to work and people, um, we did this sort of quite creative snowball fight thing for people to to put forward all their ideas. And we we looked at what were the most uh, frequently, um, and I sort of repeated this with other audiences. And the three top things came out to be um, technology, what the working life would look like, and health. And people have since reflected back to me and said, and did you know something we didn't know? You know, we didn't all know. I said, no, this was literally, we all we all knew this was coming. We just hadn't actually, you know, we must have in our subconscious, in our, we, we knew this was heading down our way, but we hadn't really tuned into it to change our behaviour. You know, obviously also environmental issues were high up, um, issues around um mental health and well-being were high up but we all of these issues have really landed Absolutely. in the last couple of months so if this was important a year ago it's even massively more important now Absolutely. and and those disruptions Absolutely. that fundamentally changes have occurred mm-hmm. you know it's no longer a theory or a proposition no and it's true i'm you know and i I always have to sort of check myself sometimes in these conversations because, you know, I'm very aware of confirmation bias and things like that and, and hearing something going, oh, that reinforces what I believe. Yeah. Um, but it's my um, my research interests are, are leadership and change. So that's kind of what my, yeah. my PhD was around. And, oh, um, you know, this, I, I, this may be something that might be of interest in terms of there's a paper that I um, found within the world of sport coaching, which was my my kind of field. Um, it's by um, a couple of people, Gilbert and Cote, and they talked about um, – the coaching effectiveness and they talk about um, effective coaches having three domains of knowledge and um, I've used this and created a model around leadership but I think it it aligns a lot with what you're talking about in terms of you know they argue and and for me as well you know going forward you know in a world where change is going to be increasingly constant so we are constantly going to be living in a world that, that probably the pace of change is only going to accelerate um and they talk about the three domains of knowledge being um, firstly, intrapersonal knowledge, which is how well you know yourself and self-awareness. And, you know, I've taken that um, and, you know, what's what's your self-identity? What's your you know, what's your authenticity? Who really are you and what matters to you? They then talk about another domain being interpersonal knowledge, which is around how you build relationships and how you communicate with others and, you know, how you collaborate, all of those sorts of things. Mm. And the, third, the third domain they talk about from a coaching context is professional knowledge mm. and that within a sport coaching context is, you know, the technique, techniques, the tactics of the of the, of the sport. Um, I've taken that in terms of a leadership and change perspective. And one of the things that I argue is it's around problem solving, mm. creative thinking, man- you know, mm. navigating and orchestrating change. How do you do all those things? Mm. And it maybe strikes me that there's some synergy between some of the things you're talking about in fusion. And, and I've got the start of a, a, a 
campfire from the creative bravery <laughs> in my head going what if we looked at that what what, what would that mean for yeah. schools and education where you didn't have you know traditional maths english whatever actually you had you, you looked at do you know yourself can you can you communicate with others and actually have you got the skills to be able to problem solve and also if you take that in your broader context of perhaps your work with businesses and with executives and so on it's also what would happen if there were no boundaries between charities, businesses, schools, cultural organisations, you know, if there was much more working horizontally, mm-hmm. how might that address um, issues of staff shortages? How might that address issues of skills shortages? Mm-hmm. How might um, leadership look different if you started yeah. to work, you know? Um, because I think I think that's it's a really important time to have those conversations. I would also be really interested to connect with you in terms of, um, as I mentioned, these Fusion City events uh, occur on an annual basis. So we're having one in October this year, uh, October the 9th. It will be a virtual event, but we're also having one in June 2021 that's already booked that we hope will be a physical event. But we're very much looking as well at systematic change and how you how um, leadership works to actually get change more broadly. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to follow that focus on system change with really the in 2021 making sure we're also looking at um, accessibility and social mobility and equality because when you change a system, there's a real danger you leave people behind or you leave parts behind or you know every time you move on there's something you forget Mm -hmm. and I think that that it's really important to to have that system change with leadership but we need a type of leadership that can also revisit both the intra and inter uh, personal knowledge to be able to make sure you're also not leaving um, Mm -hmm. certain groups or people or organizations or places behind in that in that effort because it could ultimately actually be counterproductive if it furthers widens those gaps that we have in society absolutely john i'm sitting here thinking wow i could just have this conversation for three hours and still we want to talk more and as there's a i was talking to a um an outdoor um leader passionate enthusiast and that and we were having this conversation about group walking and, and out on the mountains if you're an expedition leader leading a walk um, you know, I said, oh, you always walk at the pace of the slowest. And they said, actually, no, as a, as a outdoor leader, it's my role to help the slowest get, get faster. faster. <laughs> and I'm yeah. just, yeah, I just love that. That came to mind as you're, as you're talking about that need to, need to, yeah, the collective. A lovely measure. Yeah. Yeah. So that often comes into my mind. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean we're we're coming to the end of the of the, the half an hour or so. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> it's gone very quickly. <laughs> I know. I could quite happily sit and talk research. Interesting. Great when you. And going back to what I said about you know you see somebody with energy and it just kind of motivates you to want to just think about things in different ways. And a couple of the podcasts that I've done previously have been around. You know, we've talked about that diversity of perspective and being able to realise that. Um, perhaps just because you see that answer it doesn't mean it's the answer and somebody else might their experience and their background and their life they may actually see and frame the problem in a very different way therefore they will get a very different answer and the ability to 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 be able to see those perspectives is really valuable 
Absolutely. And I think also, you know, collectively from all different walks of life, different stakeholders, different levels, different, we we need to be changing the language we use. We need to be changing the metaphors we refer to, to make them fit for purpose as we move forward. And I think, you know, when you you talk, for example, about, you know, someone taking someone on a walk in an environment, that's a much more power I mean that has more power to me as a leadership conversation than saying something like a word like line management or you know which is very militaristic or accountability you know I mean so I think I think it's also the words that we use um, are really really important I mean when we develop this the notion of um, fusion skills and I've actually, I mean, I can share with you a white paper I've written on this. We consciously avoided calling them things like soft skills, essential skills, transversal skills, all of these things, because we feel, you know, they come loaded with Absolutely. such such a baggage. Like if you call them yeah. soft skills, it implies you can just sort of, you know, get them and you don't have to do anything and they're not worth much you know um, if you call them essential skills it's incredibly damning if you've got someone who's perhaps five and, and returning to work after and, and you say well I'm sorry you don't have the essential skills you know yeah. so I think that we have to be really um conscious too of of changing changing the language making mm. the language really fit what's going to be needed for the future, not Absolutely. sticking with the language from yeah. adapted from the past. Yeah, and I'm I'm really conscious. No, normally I don't share many quotes and things, but this my husband my husband um, gave this quote to me the other week. He's a uh, an arboriculturalist, and he was on a, a on a some sort of Skype or something. And this quote, and I won't get it right, but it was along <laughs> the lines of if if Canaan had said to the Israelites, um, "Come on, I'm going to show you a land of." Um, insect vomit and mammary secretions then probably the outcome would have been quite different because reality actually that's it's milk and honey but again it's the power of how you know how we use that language and how emotive it can be yeah uh, and I yeah so maybe there's, a, there's an answer lovely I love that I'll steal that one as well thank you <laughs> I can't remember who said it I'll have to look it up <laughs> Yeah, well, then it, when you go to look it up, you'll find the poem anyway. So exactly. you still won't have the, date, the exact reference, but you'll find the poem. I'd love your reference, by the way, to the Gilbert and Cooter work that you referred to. So do send me that in the follow-up email. Fabulous. Good. Well, well as, as ever, I, I invite my guests to maybe share share some final reflections or or something just to leave, you know, leave us with that feels either important to you or, you know, for the time or whatever. Um, but, yes, yeah, I guess it's your opportunity just to, to reflect on some of the things we've talked about and highlight the things that feel quite meaningful for you right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've completely enjoyed this experience. So, so thank you very much. Um, I think I'd probably... Um, just sort of reflect back, if I might, um, a little bit about that original poem is that I think for for young people and particularly young people in urban environments at this time, um, there are a lot of dark birds that are flying around and and I think we need to um, make sure that we we bring bring the arts into their lives, that we provide beautiful blossoms, that we, you know, allow them um, to have those two wings so that they can fly. And I think we have a sort of social responsibility 
to do that. And it's really weird. I'm looking out the window because my little Robin has popped right up to the door oh. to, as if to say, yeah, I agree. So yeah. I'm even getting support from the local Fabulous. Robin who, who's, who's come in to, to make a comment. So, um, yeah, I think just, just re- remember that there are, you know, there are some dark birds and we have to, we have to be mindful of, how they can, you know, they they can play out in the lives of people, particularly at the moment. But they they were there, you know, back in 1995, and they're still there today. Thank you. What what great a great way to just leave that pause that conversation there. So uh, thank you very much for for your time. Completely my pre- pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone. You have been listening to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. My thanks again to my guest, Anne Bamford, and also to you for listening. Until the next time, take care.